didn't. I didn't turn it on. Jesus was crucified on Friday after being brutally beaten and after having an unfair trial where the frenzied mob demanded his death by the most horrific means of execution at the hands of the Romans, crucifixion. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst. I mean, this is the most humiliating public display of shame and of wrongdoing that a person could be displayed on. And the Romans made sure that this was a slow and painful process and it was a humiliating process. And so that's why they reserved it for the most egregious crimes and the most egregious criminals to be publicly mocked and displayed and humiliated. And here is Jesus, the one who had never sinned, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, the one who had only come and healed, the one who had come and proclaimed good news, the one who had come and raised the dead to life, the one who had come and driven out demons and only preached the word of God and shown love and compassion to so many people. Now he's hanging there just like one of these criminals that have been executed. After all of his teaching, after all of his claims and prophecies, after even telling all of those who were following him that he was going to die, you would think that all of the loyal followers that he had, all of the people who had heard him say that he was going to die, but that he was going to be brought back to life, you would think maybe somebody would have been anxiously awaiting outside of the tomb of Jesus to see if he was going to rise from the dead. But history tells us and scripture tells us there was no one there hiding in the bushes, anxiously awaiting. Matter of fact, even the Romans had more faith that Jesus was going to rise from the dead because the, the leaders put in place guards set at the tomb just in case someone tried to come steal his body and claim that he had risen from the dead. So here, even the Romans are saying, you know what, if they try to fabricate something or make something happen, we're going to make sure that it doesn't. No one that we know of was waiting outside of the tomb of Jesus, waiting for him to rise. Isn't that fascinating when you think about it? I mean, not one person. He said, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise. Everyone just kind of went back to life before Jesus because maybe they thought the movement was over. The movement was dead. Hope is dead. Maybe they're thinking God is dead. Maybe they're thinking that Jesus wasn't who they thought he was. And maybe they thought, surely something's going to happen if he's on this cross. Maybe he's going to come off. Maybe angels are going to come rescue him, but they didn't see anything miraculous like that. They, they saw him breathe his last. They saw him put in the tomb. And so no one thought that it was worth sitting outside and waiting for his glorious resurrection because everyone else had just kind of given up hope or they were too afraid because we see some of the disciples go back to the trades that Jesus actually called them away from. We see some people were just isolated and mourning, hopeless in rooms where probably very few words were spoken and a lot of tears were shed. There was a lot of hopelessness and now they thought their hoped king, their Messiah, is dead and the movement's over. This is it. Maybe we were wrong about Jesus. And they were hopeless. And they thought it was over. 
The religious system of Jesus' day was very corrupt. All of the different religious leaders would interpret the scriptures to, their, to serve their own ends and their own means. And they would create different followings and factions based on the things that the relig religious leaders would use in scripture to elevate themselves, to give themselves more power, more control, or to get a bigger following of more people because they would tell some people what they wanted to hear or they would make certain exceptions or exclusions based on this law or that law and they would attract more followers and so the religious system was corrupt it was being manipulated and abused for personal gain within the religious system of Jesus day the government was corrupt because the government was dictating the culture of their day and the government was an imposing Roman government that was keeping all of these Jewish people captive paying taxes to Rome while also allowing all sorts of egregious behaviors and all sorts of sinful things to happen under their watch. And so the government is corrupt. And it was very difficult in those days to be a God-fearing Jew trying to live in the middle of this corrupt political system and in the middle of being disappointed by religious leaders who have abused their position and their power and their influence. And I started thinking about this. We find the disciples feeling hopeless in the middle of all of this, that they thought Jesus was going to turn around in a moment. And I think that so many of us can find ourselves in this same frame of mind today. Because many people have given up on Jesus. Many people have given up on the church and are in a similar place as the disciples were after Jesus had died. Really and truly, their hope had died. Maybe you're one of those people. I look at different research groups and things to get statistics, and Barna Research Group reports that per capita, the Quad Cities is the 27th most unchurched city in the United States of America. That doesn't even make sense in my brain because there's a lot bigger cities than the Quad City area. I don't even know it, but it says on their list, it lists all of the Quad Cities, that we are, as a whole, 27th out of the top 100 in the United States, most unchurched cities in the United States per capita. Barna Research also reports that the Quad City ranks 15th as the, on the top 100 post-Christian cities in America. Post-Christian means that these are the people that are just done with church. They're done with organized religion. They're post-Christian. Maybe they grew up in church or they had family members who brought them to church. And, but they're basically done with that. So when I read these statistics, I see, yeah, a lot of people have given up. And a lot of people have lost faith in Jesus' movement. A lot of people have lost hope because maybe for the same reasons that the disciples were struggling that day. Maybe it's because they've been hurt. Maybe you're here today. Maybe your, your grandma drug you to church or your mom or your mother-in-law uh, or your father-in-law. Maybe you're just here to fulfill a, fa a family obligation. Maybe you're here to check a box. Maybe you're here, you know, just because maybe it's a nice thing to do. It's Easter after all and it's a tradition. But maybe you fall into the category of someone who's not really into it, who's maybe lost hope as these disciples had because of the same reasons they were struggling. Maybe you've been affected by abuse of religious leaders. 
people who were in positions of power and influence, who misused and abused their positions of influence, and it disappointed you, it hurt you. Maybe different pastors, maybe different denominational groups, maybe elders or maybe certain leaders and teachers that you were supposed to be able to trust, that were supposed to teach you, and this was supposed to be a life-giving thing, and it ended up being something else, and it, and it hurt you, and it left you with some scars. Maybe you're like the disciples living under a system in the government that has created this corrupt system that makes it very difficult to follow Jesus. And sometimes you feel all alone because, man, you, you want to serve God, but man, the culture around you makes it incredibly difficult because there are certain things that have been instituted by government leaders that were supposed to help make things better, but because of man's selfishness and because of the wickedness in man's heart, certain things have been accepted and allowed and pushed and, 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 and shoved, and, and it's become difficult to when you try to stand up for Christ, you, you get ridiculed, and it feels like this very lonely experience, and it can be very uh, negative towards you actually trying to look for hope in a dark situation, and maybe you're just tired of feeling alone in a government and in a system and in a culture that seems to be very difficult to live in and genuinely serve God. And maybe you've seen hypocrisy in the middle of all of it. Maybe the hypocrisy has worn you out and you just don't know if there's anything real to it anymore. And maybe you're in the same boat as these people because not one person, not one, was sitting outside the tomb anxiously awaiting going, I know he's going to raise from the dead because he said he was. We actually, they actually saw him raise other people who were dead. They saw Lazarus. You would think maybe, maybe even, you know, like, like, like John and, and, and Peter and, and James, maybe those three closer disciples that were there with Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration that saw him like in this incredibly, like just, just bleached white state that blew their minds. And then they saw Moses appear and Elijah. They were there. They witnessed that. They saw that miracle. They saw who he was. They heard God speak from heaven. Maybe one of those guys are camped out around the tomb, but they weren't. They were in a house somewhere, feeling hopeless, feeling like it's over. Is Jesus even relevant? Is this just something that we do and we go through the motions? Over these past 11 weeks, we've gone through every single verse in the book of Mark as a church. And today we're going to wrap up this series by going to Mark chapter 15. If you have your Bible, if you were able to join us for our Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday services, man, they were incredibly powerful uh, services. We went through Mark 13 and Mark 14 and a portion of Mark 15 during those services as well. So if you missed that by chance, go back and catch those online. But we are going to pick up where we left off from Good Friday in Mark 15 and verse 40. And this is after Jesus breathed his last and after Jesus has already died. You can also follow along on um, the mobile app Uversion. That's a free Bible app. You can download that and you can follow along on Uversion Live, which you'll be able to see my actual notes that I put together each and every week if you look for a live event in your area and click on Bettendorf Christian Church. So if you want to utilize that, please feel free to, to download, download that and utilize that here so you can follow along with us. Mark chapter 15, Jesus has died. Verse 40 is where we're going to pick up from Good Friday. 
There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Younger, and Joseph and Sal Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when the evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? There's nobody there. Who's going to roll away the stone for us so we can go and anoint his body as our burial rituals? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking to the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. And afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves, and they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and set down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. I need you to understand something about what we just read. The Bible was not assembled as we know it until some 350 years after this event. We don't know about the re resurrection because of the Bible. We have the Bible because of the resurrection. I need you to catch this. People told the story over and over again. The reason the story of Jesus was worth telling, worth dying for, worth being persecuted for, was because Jesus is no longer in the grave. He is alive. You see, this is the big change that happens here. 
Because the story of Jesus now is being told over and over all throughout the region. And now it's getting out of hand and out of control. And the church begins to endure persecution because they are radically proclaiming that Jesus is not dead. He's alive. What changed? What changed? They went from not even expecting him to rise from the dead. No one's even showing up at the tomb. Everyone's sad. Everyone's mourning. Even the women are going to anoint his body with perfumes and spices and oils. And they're showing up expecting a dead Jesus. But then when they find out that he's alive, all of a sudden, everyone begins to change. Everyone begins to live their life now with a renewed sense of hope because hope has now been restored because Christ has been resurrected. And it wasn't because they opened up the Bible and read it. It was because they heard the stories. And then when they heard the stories, those stories spread like wildfire. For 350 years before we had the Bible the way that we have it, isn't that amazing? That these people who were at home Mourning and weeping. These people who had gone back to fishing. These people who thought it was over. These people who had lost all hope. Now all of a sudden, Peter, the disciple who denies Jesus three times, even cusses someone out, says, I don't know the man, bleepity bleep. And he cusses the person out for associating him with Jesus. And then he had been so embarrassed and so ashamed after Jesus' prophecy came true, here the angel says, hey, tell the disciples and tell Peter that he's alive. Tell Peter. What's, what, what is the angel saying to the women? He's saying, let them know that Jesus loves Peter. He wants them to know, hey, Peter, I want you to know I'm alive. And Peter, the man who couldn't withstand the pressure of the crowd... Now we find later all throughout the scripture preaching in front of all the religious leaders and in front of thousands of people boldly proclaiming Christ crucified and Christ risen from the dead. What changed? You were afraid for your life before and now you don't even care. You're willing to risk all of it. What changed? He saw the resurrected Christ. There is nothing else that would give him that hope and that boldness other than having seen Jesus because he went from this feeble state because the power of the resurrection had changed him. It had given him a new hope that he didn't have before. It had given him that assurance that Jesus is indeed the promised one, the one who did do what he said that he would do. And you and I have that same opportunity to have hope restored. Here's our big idea for the day. Jesus' resurrection restores hope, and your hope in Christ is not in vain. Jesus' resurrection restores hope, and your hope in Christ is not in vain. You see, the, the disciples turn their attention from grief, from unbelief, from hopelessness, from fear, to zeal, to passion, to boldness, to complete abandonment. Even to the stake, even, even where people would be willing to be thrown in prison for this message. People who didn't even show up to the tomb are now saying, throw me in jail over it. I don't care. People who didn't even show up believing he was going to be risen from the dead. Now all of a sudden are saying, I'll take the beating. I'll consider it an honor to suffer as Christ suffered. And they're boldly making these proclamations. And so those that were against them, they thought, we've got to kill these people before it gets out of control. 
But killing them only made the gospel spread more. Because when they would kill them, people would say, what an honor that I get to die for my Savior like he died for me. And they're like, we don't know what to do with these people. You can even read early church history accounts in Fox's Book of Martyrs and other accounts of people who were persecuted in the early church days where people would actually pray that they and their children would be counted worthy to die for the sake of Christ. Wow, have you ever prayed those bedtime prayers with your children before? <laughs> May my child die for the sake of Christ. They literally would pray that, and if it happened, they would count it an honor. Sure, they would be sad, sure they would mourn, but they would also rejoice because they counted this life here on earth as just a vapor, and they understood they were living for eternity, and the gospel needed to be proclaimed and spread, and they knew that this life wasn't the end because death had lost its sting, and the grave had lost its victory, and they knew this, and they lived like it. They lived like it because of the resurrection. How could now thousands upon thousands of people live with this type of abandonment, radical abandonment, after just not too long ago, not even showing up to see if it were true? The resurrection is what happened. The resurrection turned hopelessness into hope. The resurrection renewed zeal and passion and showed them that Jesus was who he said that he was. And they began to spread it all throughout the world. The enemy tried to snuff it out. Let's kill them. That only made the gospel spread. Well, let's not kill them. Let's make their lives incredibly difficult. Let's make things hard. Let's throw them in prison. They start singing in prison. What is wrong with these people? You don't sing in prison. And they weren't singing sad songs like, woe is me. I'm in prison. I got beat and it hurt and I'm hungry and sad. I miss my family. No, they were singing songs of rejoicing to God, even to the point to where, like, some of the jailers were getting saved because of their testimony. Like, this is what was happening. What changed? The resurrection is what changed. All of a sudden, my priorities shifted because what I once thought was important, fishing, running the family business, I guess, and all of a sudden, none of that mattered. All that mattered was the gospel. All that mattered was glorifying God, even if it meant I got tortured, even if it meant I died, because that's how valuable Jesus had become, because they had heard and they had seen it is true. He's not in the grave. He's actually alive, and they saw him, and it changed them forever. Now, Peter, who once denied Jesus standing in front of thousands of people, boldly proclaims in front of the Sanhedrin, that Jesus is crucified. And he even tells the religious Jewish leaders, and you're the ones who killed him. What boldness from Peter under the unction of the Holy Spirit. And then God gives them the Holy Spirit that empowers them to be able to do things they couldn't do in their own strength. Gives them a supernatural boldness to go out and proclaim the gospel. That's what the resurrected Christ does. Amen. That's what the resurrected Christ does. People for centuries have risked their lives, their reputations for this hope that we celebrate today. Yes, church people may have let you down. Yes, religious leaders may have let you down and hurt you and abused your trust. Yes, it may be difficult to navigate living in a corrupt system that we live in, but the pathway to healing and hope is to remember the hope that Christ brings from the resurrection. He gives us a new hope and a new purpose. Because if you don't find this purpose 
and this hope in Christ, you're going to continually be trying to get new water from the same well over and over again. And can I tell you, you won't be able to go back without having to get thirsty again and go draw again. And every time that you go back and you try to draw from that well, you're looking for some new excitement, some new hit of dopamine, some new sense of joy, because that's what our culture tells us. Our culture tells us, go pursue your happiness. If it makes you happy, do it. That's how you need to live your life. Does this person make you happy? Does your job make you happy? Does this situation make you happy? Does this spouse make you happy? Do these things make you happy? And if they don't make you happy, then go do something else and find more happiness. Because that's what you need to do after all, is search for happiness. And we have bought into this lie that our happiness is the end game of our lives. And we chase after this goal of our happiness and we miss contentment in Christ. Because if you're pursuing happiness with what this world offers and you're looking for contentment and joy within what this world can give, you will always go back to that well still thirsty. Over and over again. And you think you found something that makes you happy and then after you've done it, the new kind of wears off. And you have to go find something else. The joy kind of wears out. You thought it would be that car, that house. You thought it would be that career, that job, that status in society. And it wears out. When I lived in Wisconsin, uh, we were season ticket holders for the Milwaukee Bucks. And the first year we went, I'm talking full season ticket holders. When we went, to, when we went that's 41 games if you don't know. That's a lot of basketball. And I had good seats, section 217, row CCC, seats five and six. That's three rows behind the basket, in case you don't know, okay? And my kids thought it was so much fun to go when we first started going, and it was great. And I loved getting to choose who went with me. And then I thought it was so much fun going that first year, we're going to do it again. And then it became, do I have to go? And I was like, oh, yes, because mommy and daddy paid lots of dollars for these tickets, and you're going to go, and you're going to have fun. And, um, and then I even wore some of my friends out, and I would say, hey, you want to go with me in a basketball game tonight? Nah. What happened? The same thing that always happens to every one of us. We get excited about something, we experience it, we do it. The new wears off, the thrill isn't there like it once was when we first did it, and now we're left what? Still searching for that next thing. Still looking for that next thing. Well, what's it going to be? Well, let's go do something else. And you can live the rest of your life like that. And the enemy would love for you to spend the rest of your life searching for that next thing, searching for that answer, searching for that next hit of dopamine, that next joy ride, that next thing that makes you feel like you're something, that next thing that gives you a little bit of a thrill. The enemy would love for you to spend your entire life chasing after. And it's like a fire. And guess what, folks? A fire never says enough. A fire never says, I'm content with the amount of wood you've put on me. I will continue to burn at this level with this amount of wood. No, the fire never says enough because it consumes. That's all it does. It just consumes and destroys. And that's exactly what pursuing and chasing your own happiness will do. It will consume you and it will ultimately destroy you. And it will cause you to serve yourself. But can I tell you that there is no greater joy 
than contentment in Christ, where as we sang earlier, there's nothing that's better than you. Jesus, there's nothing better than you. Because these people who once were hopeless, who once thought it was over, once they understood Christ has risen from the dead, all of a sudden they had a renewed sense of purpose to where they counted their own lives even as nothing. They wanted to be a vessel used for the glory of God because they understood it's real. He's alive. I'm excited and I want to prioritize everything in my life to lay up treasures in heaven, not here on this earth. They wanted to go to heaven and take as many people with them because they saw what Christ had done and it's real and now there's a way. There wasn't a way before. We tried to follow the law. We tried to be good boys and girls. We tried to be moral people. We tried to live our lives to, to make sure that we kept our noses clean and we did everything just right and it still wasn't good enough. But Jesus came in spite of us and was able to, to die on the cross for us while we were yet sinners and then not only stay dead but be raised to new life to overcome even death itself and now we have this glorious hope and that news needs to be proclaimed especially in a town and in a city and in an area where we rank 27th as most unchurched especially in an area where we rank 15th as most post-christian people need to see and experience something real and and, and I just have to think that Bettendorf Christian Church is located in this community for such a time as this. God knew that the Quad Cities would be on this list, but he has not given up hope because we're still breathing. And he still believes that the Jesus in us is the same Jesus that can save all of these lost people and people who have been burned by experiencing all of the hurt and pain that they've experienced and see something real. See a church that's vibrant, that cares, that's authentic, that wants to walk with them, that wants to laugh with them, cry with them, do life with them, and show them something more than what they've seen before. To be a light, to be a city on a hill, to be salt, to be a change agent in the Quad Cities and beyond. I believe that's why we're here, to move the needle in a positive direction to where we find ourselves getting off of this list because there are some people who understand he's not dead, he's alive, and I have a new hope. And that hope is driving my life, it's driving my decisions, it's driving my desires, it's driving my priorities. Nothing else matters. I will abandon everything for the sake of him and for giving him glory and for showing people the truth of the gospel and me living this thing out. Not that I've got it all together, I'm walking with them and I'm showing them something real, something that they haven't seen before, something that they haven't experienced before because of what God is doing in us. And I believe that's the type of church that God has called us to be. I want to read one more scripture before we go this morning. In the book of Revelation, chapter 12. Ooh, some people just got real nervous. <laughs> He's turning to Revelation. Oh, what's it going to be? Ooh, what's it going to be? So many people are scared of the book of Revelation. Can I tell you, here's, here's a great way to approach the book of Revelation. Don't be scared of it, number one. Um, and number two... The very first part of the book of Revelation says, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So as long as you stay anchored in that as you read it, there's nothing to be afraid of. Because it's not the Antichrist's book, it's Jesus' book. And so don't go reading it trying to figure everything out because it's not for you to figure out. It's for you to be encouraged because the scripture also says, blessed is the one who reads this. So if I'm supposed to be blessed, I'm not blessed when I'm scared. And here's the other thing. 
I'm not blessed when I'm confused, right? So if, 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 if people are being scared and confused by the book of Revelation, we're reading it wrong. Because it says I'm supposed to be blessed and it's supposed to be all about Jesus. And I'm not supposed to be afraid because God's not the author of fear, right? He's the author of peace. So it, could, it should actually give me encouragement and hope. So I want to help you next time that you go to read the book of Revelation. Don't be afraid of this thing. Instead of looking for the evils of your day, look for Jesus throughout the book of Revelation. And I guarantee you, he'll show up in that book. And I guarantee you, you'll find hope in that reading. That's how you read Revelation. Anyways, <laughs> that's not what I'm preaching about today. Mark, <laughs> Mark chapter, I mean Mark, Revelation chapter 12. And this is after talks about Satan being thrown down in verse 11. And here's what this says about the church and all of those who, had, the, all the martyrs, all those who had died for the sake of Christ. It says, and they have conquered him. They've conquered the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Now, you have to understand something about the book of Revelation as well. This will also help you read it. This had to be hope and, and truth for the first people who heard it, the first people who would have read it, because these were circulated among the churches, especially those seven churches that were on that mail route that was given in the first few chapters of the book of Revelation. And so these churches would have been going through something. What were they going through during that time? A lot of persecution. And so people were dying. And so God wanted them to know something that I believe he still wants us to know to this day. Hey, those who have given their lives for the sake of the gospel, those who have abandoned everything for the sake of the gospel, those who have paid the ultimate price for the name of Jesus, listen, you're going to overcome. You're, you're overcoming. How are you going to overcome? Well, by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony that you love not your life even unto the death. That I understand my life is a sacrifice, a living sacrifice unto God. And Lord, if you require my life of it, of me, may it be for your glory. And that's the passion that they lived with. And that would have greatly encouraged them to let them know that even those who were perishing among them, they're overcomers. Because they're sharing in the victory of the resurrection. <laughs> that's the hope that we have. You see, our response is to do what Jesus preached his entire earthly ministry. And Jesus preached the same message over and over again. Do you remember as we read throughout the Gospel of Mark, we read every verse from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to the end. You remember Jesus' message over and over again? It was repent and believe. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe. Repent, meaning to turn away from my former way of living. Turn away from my selfishness. Turn away from the sin that had me bound. Turn away from all of my own trophies and my own accomplishments. Turn away, repent, turn away. Not just say I'm sorry, but turn, do a 180. Turn around and walk away from it and abandon who I was and believe that Jesus is the Holy One, the Messiah, the Son of God, and he's not in a tomb somewhere like every other person that people would wanna follow and say, oh, this great leader or that great leader. Yeah, you can go to their tombs and they're there, but Jesus, you go to his tomb, it is empty because he's alive. And his resurrection gives us hope. Remember our big idea, Jesus' resurrection restores hope and your hope in Christ is not in vain. So maybe you're here today and you need hope. Can I tell you that hope comes from Jesus? Perhaps you're here and you've never responded to the gospel. You've never recognized your need for Jesus. But today, 
today you've heard the gospel and it was shared in a way that it hit you in a different way than it's ever hit you before. What do I need to do with this? You need to respond. You need to repent and believe. We're gonna have people up here at the front who are gonna be available to pray with you at the end of our service. We would love to pray with you. And then we would love to walk with you and connect you with other believers who can walk with you through this Christian life. Not just go, oh, they said a prayer and we sent them on their way. No, we wanna connect you with people because you need to realize this is not some solo sport. We're in this together, amen? This is supposed to be a church family that walks with one another and sharpens one another and helps each other to grow. And we wanna support you and help you. So can we pray for you if that's the case? If you have any other prayer needs, we'd love to pray for you as well. But especially if you want to give your life to Christ today and you're seeing that need, you need to respond to that. Maybe you're here in this place and maybe you're like the disciples were. You're just going through the motions. But man, it's been a while since you've had that hope rekindled. My prayer today is that you would come to a place where your eyes would be open, where a fire would be renewed and relit in your heart, a new passion to serve God with a new priority, with an eternal priority. Because all of us can get caught up and get distracted and get our eyes off of Jesus. That's why our challenge once we become Christ followers is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because scripture says he's the author and the finisher of our faith because there's so many things in this world that wanna pull our eyes away from Jesus. There's so many hard things, so many difficult things, so many challenges that wanna pull our eyes off of Jesus and get us to look within ourselves. And we try to look for hope within ourselves or we try to look for hope within other things that we try to cope with folks. Hope only comes through Jesus. And it's hard and it's tough. But that's why we need one another, to keep each other focused. To remind each other, hey, let's keep our eyes on Jesus. I know it's hard right now. And I'll mourn with those who mourn. I'll rejoice with those who rejoice. But let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because this life, man, is but a vapor. And I want to live every moment that he gives me for the glory of God. Amen. So Lord, help us do this because we need you to help us do this because we can't do this on our own. None of us are that great and we need you. And so we confess our need for you. We confess that you are enough. We confess that there's nothing better than you. We confess that there's no one greater than you. We confess, Lord, that we have no hope within ourselves, with anything we can conjure up, that the only hope, Lord, that there is that satisfies is the hope that comes from trusting in the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. We lay all of our trophies at your feet, all of our sins, all of our burdens, all of our doubts, all of our fears. And Lord, help us to be the people that you've called us to be so that we can impact eternity and we can see your kingdom, Lord, being realized, being awakened in the hearts of so many who haven't yet seen your goodness or experienced your goodness or those who have tried to walk away or those who have been wounded. Lord, do what only you can do. We trust you for it. In Jesus' name.